0: Genesis chapter 6 verse 22 here's what it says Noah did so just as God commanded him everybody say just as he didn't get into a negotiation with God he didn't try to convince God that his own personal way was better Noah did it just as God commanded him so he did rescue is best discovered through the story of Noah and over the past few weeks actually today is the sixth sermon in the rescue miniseries if you will and we've been unpacking almost verse by verse different things about the man Noah and how God provided rescue in the world through the man Noah and we learned about the ark we learned about preparing rescue we learned about getting ready we learned who Noah was and all these things And today, if you need a title, I'm just going to simply title this Entering Rescue. Everybody say, Entering Rescue. Rescue. In In the scripture that we read, Arlene, if you don't mind, can you put that verse 22 back up on the screen? I want you to see this because God is saying something very specifically here that I don't want you to miss because it's really, really important. It says, just as God commanded him, everybody say God. By the way, I have you repeat to make sure that you're still awake with me. Is that okay? Kim, you awake? Praise God. Just as God commanded him. And as we've learned over the last few weeks, and by the way, if you missed anything, you can get caught up on YouTube. You can, you can catch us up on Facebook or on the NOLA Church app or at nolachurch.com. You can find, I don't know what just happened, but that's really cool. That was neat. Yes, Lord. Yes, you minister in the darkness, and then your grace comes to life. Praise the Lord. That was unplanned. Isn't that cool? I love when technology messes up and just, cool. All right, we're back in it. Cut, restart. Here we go. We've learned that the language of the Word of God is not the language that we speak, right? We speak English-ish. We're in southeast Louisiana. We're not real sure it's it's really English. It's something, y'all. Sha sha is something. boy. Laissez le bon ton roule. Uh. Hoi hey. Hui hey, is better than aye because aye means you're having fun. Hoi hey, means I've had so much fun I'm give out. But The language of the Bible is different and also depending on where you're at in the Word of God. If you're in the Old Testament, it's ancient Hebrew or biblical Hebrew. Sometimes it's referenced as Aramaic and then you get into the New Testament and the vast majority of the Word of God was written in Greek and specifically Koine Greek, which was the more common language. But here in verse 22 of chapter 6, Moses, who is the author that God is using to actually pen the words, he's using some very specific phrases that I want you to catch here. And throughout chapter 6, as God is talking about what is going to be done, and as God is giving Noah commandments, it's always referencing him as God. Everybody say, God. By the way, this is one of those kind of churches, so everybody say, God. God. See, it just sounds better when you add that A-W-D in a God. You know God's... David, Is God moving in your life. Amen. David's over there going, serenity now, serenity now. God is moving throughout the book of Genesis. And in chapter 6, he's being referenced as... God, And that's making a difference because the word that Moses used here is not a name. It's actually a reference to the majesty of God. And the Hebrew word that we see here is the word Elohim or Eloah, if you speak Hebrew and you have enough phlegm to actually make it come out. But Elohim is not a reference to a name. It's a reference to the vastness of his majesty, the all-encompassing, all-powerful, all-existing, the one who reached inside himself and began time by taking something out of himself. Y'all remember all the way back in creation. The Elohim, that's who he's talking about. And we see the Elohim as the God of judgment, not like anger judgment, like raining down hellfire and brimstone, but judgment is justice. Everybody say justice. Like, I know what needs to be done right, so I'm going to insert myself into the story. And this is how, throughout chapter 6, Moses references God as Elohim. He wants us to see that God is preparing rescue from His vastness. But now I want to show you something different. And just as Noah accomplished everything he was commanded to do through the righteous judge... The righteous judge, the God of all gods, the Elohim, gave him the power to accomplish the work. We begin to see something different in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, and here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Noah. You see the difference there? We'll come back to it. Go into the ark with all your household, for you alone have I found righteous before me in this generation. So is he talking about another God? Is there someone else talking to Noah? Does God have multiple personality disorder? Or is there another truth being buried even in the way that God is being referenced and I would submit that that is actually what's happening because you see in chapter 6 as as Moses is wanting us to get this story of the vastness of deity the vastness of divinity speaking justice into a chaotic sinful world now he turns to the individual and you got to see this the Lord said God is Elohim but what is Lord Lord, especially when you see it in the Bible in all caps. And if you've read the Bible, how many of y'all have read the Bible? If you haven't read the Bible, don't raise your hand. You're in a church. You're supposed to read the Bible. If you see in the word of God, the word Lord in all caps, it's not just talking about someone who is a Lord, like in a monarchical sense. It's actually the Hebrew word Yehovah. Everybody say Yehovah. Yehovah. You got to add the breath in there so you sound smart. Yehovah. And this is most often transliterated YHWH. Some people say Yahweh. That's not how you say it. That's actually breaking it all the way down. But it's, it's Yehovah. That's how you would pronounce YHWH. And this is the Tetragrammaton, which is a direct reference to part of the identity of God. Not a separate God. Part of the identity of God in specific Reaching into the element of God, who is the eternal existing one, the merciful Savior. All right, I, I want you to catch this. I know that was super deep and theological. We're done with all that. You, you cool? We're going to get back to preaching. That cool? All right, in chapter six, the justice God, the vast God, the element of God's character that does not tolerate chaos says I'm going to provide a way of escape and then in his mercy he reaches to the individual and says I want you to come in and be a part of what I'm doing God is not coming at you as an individual with his righteous indignation he is reaching to you with his powerful arm of mercy and grace saying I have made a way for you to enter into my rescue but you have to trust me through the process. Is this good? Yeah. Praise God. Let's dive on into this. Basically what you can see and the difference between Elohim and Jehovah is this, truth, which is judgment, commanded Noah to prepare the ark. Truth, truth. You, unmitigated, unadulterated, unwatered down. I know the world's not used to that, but unwatered, especially the church, unwatered down truth truth says you need to prepare an ark but in the same voice that truth is saying prepare an ark grace comes out and gives noah and his family access to the ark that salvation provided is this good okay god is very done with chaos in humanity not just in this part of the story But also in our existence, God, his righteousness pushes against the chaos of humanity. It doesn't mean that God hates humanity. God loves humanity so much so that he robed himself in flesh and was born and lived and died and and was buried and resurrected to redeem humanity back to himself. But the righteousness of God cannot tolerate the chaos of human sin. And God says humanity cannot fix the problem. So I will take care of the problem myself. And his mercy reaches out from the midst of his justice and says here is a pathway to salvation. I want you to look at verses 2 and 3. Here's what it says. God, Lord, Yehovah, the merciful Savior is saying, Of every clean animal, you shall take seven pairs, males and their mates, and of every animal that is not clean, two, a male and its mate. And of the birds of the sky, also seven pairs, male and female, to keep seed alive upon all the earth. Why did God want different groupings? Why did he need a male animal and a female animal? Because he wanted seed to continue. God is not about what he plants in you dying or ending with you. He wants it to extend. That's why he's going to put you with people that are not exactly like you so that something can be produced out of you. And what is produced out of you will continue to bring legacy around the world. Amen? Am I in the book this morning? Y'all still looking at me like you don't know where I'm going. I'm going all the way to verse 4. I already told you that. You should have listened. Noah was responsible for gathering everything the earth would need after the flood. God didn't say, hey, Noah, build this ark. You and your family get in it. Close the door, and we'll work out what's going to happen later. Hear me. God says, do what I'm telling you to do. Follow my commandments. And as you follow my commandments... I'm going to provide you everything that you need here in the moment while you're in the midst of being rescued, and then everything that you're going to need after the rescue will already be included in what I've already entrusted to you. But I need you to walk with me, and I need you to move into this with me. Does this make sense? So Noah was was responsible for gathering everything. The clean animals... Had a, had a dual purpose. They, for, they were for sacrifice while they were on the journey. The Bible tells us that they were on the boat for roughly a year and they never stopped worshiping God. And at the time, worship was centering around sacrifice and there were going to be sacrifices when they got off the ark. So there was enough clean animals... Because that's the only animals that you could sacrifice. They were provided for sacrifice and for food and for populating. Here's the thing. Somebody hear me. God is going to give you an opportunity to enter into a different form and a different type of worship. That worship is going to involve sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you something, he doesn't want it. But here's what's really cool. The thing that he asks you to sacrifice to him is the exact same thing that he's going to use to sustain you through the journey. He didn't want you eating unclean animals because if you're not going to offer them to me, I don't want you eating them. If I'm not accepting, why in the world would you eat them? But the thing that I want you to return to me, ooh this wasn't even planned. Listen, baby mama, going up there and preaching about tithing this morning, taking up all my time. But, but here's the deal. God is not going to ask you. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I know where my bread's buttered. People say, oh, pastor's always talking about money. By the way, that's not the truth. Pastor's wife is always talking about money. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here's the deal, tithing is not about money. And by the way, she didn't talk about that because the church is in financial trouble. She's talking about this because God's touching on her heart saying there's people who don't trust me. And they're not getting what they need to be sustained. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, talent, and treasure. All these things shall be added unto you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, the all things that we all need. It's not happening because you don't trust God. And you're scared to death to let go. You got a death grip on 10%. Like you can't even pay your bills on 10%. But you got a death grip on 10% saying, I can't let go of it. They didn't teach that to me in my last church. It's not my fault they didn't teach you the Bible. It's also not God's fault. But if you're hanging on to that, you got to understand this. Yes, God is wanting you to give it to him. But the very thing that you give to him, he will use it to sustain you. He's going to take that thing that he says, offer up to me as sacrifice, and I'm going to give you all the provision that you need. Because if you can trust me with this little bit, watch what I can do with the rest. Does that make sense? So God is doing something great. The thing he asks you to offer as sacrifice will be what he uses to sustain you. Let's look at verse 4. You're like, we're already there. Yes, we're already there. Believe it or not. For in 7 days, this is still God talking. God says, "In 7 days time, I will make it rain." I'm pretty sure that's not what he was talking about. But you relate to it. So, anyway, For in seven days' time, I'm going to make it rain upon the earth. Who's going to make it rain? Mother Nature. It's raining because of climate change. I don't know what was said, but it was low and rumbly. You don't have to repeat it, but... Who's going to make it rain? The one who gave rain in the first place. We don't even know what rain is. It's never rained. That doesn't mean it's not going to. I've never seen God do what he's promised that he's going to do. That does not mean that his word is short. It doesn't mean that his promise won't come to pass. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean God has done. That's why you have to trust him through the 120-year process of discipleship and ministry where you're reaching out from the thing that he entrusted to you and he's saying, I'm not finished doing what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something you've never imagined, but trust me through it. The problem is we don't trust him through it because we want him to do it the way we've always seen it done, expecting different results. God, I'm I'm not leaving my religious setting, but please do something different. He's like, I can't. You're stuck in the quicksand of religion. You're stuck in the quicksand of your denominationalism. You're stuck in the quicksand of your spiritual ignorance. I can't do anything new in you because you're stuck and you won't move. But because you won't move, I'm going to rain. It's going to rain on your head. And when the rain falls down, it's going to shake up everything that's around it. And where you have been stuck, the rain is going to make it a little mushy. It ain't even in the notes. I'm just traveling here. We're going to see what happens. But God is doing something, but you can't stop the rain from coming. Remember what we learned last week? The rain was not judgment. The rain was merciful cleansing. God hated everybody, and he sent the flood and killed. No, God saw what the chaos of human depravity was doing to his creation, and he said, I'm going to give them a fresh start, and I'm going to give them a water baptism. Davlin, Miss Val, fresh start today. The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. He's washing you. Let it that you I know you got wet, but that's where the cleansing flood happened. That's where the blood of Jesus was applied to your life. It's not just a public declaration of something that's happened on the inside, it's definitely that. But not just that. And when the church stops just there, oh, it's a public declaration, they forget the fact that it's only in the cleansing flood that our sins are washed away forever. It's not just about telling the world what happened. It's about telling yourself, I am no longer bound to anything that I have been up to this point. In seven days' time, I'm going to make it rain because the world needs a cleansing. Then notice this. How long is it going to rain, God? 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the earth all existence that I, create, that I created. And as we've learned already, words mean things. And in, in Hebrew, numbers mean things. And I'm not getting into mysticism. I'm not telling you what lottery tickets to buy. I'm not going to do, you don't need to be doing that anyway. <laughs> and by the way, if you rail against taxes, don't play the lottery because that's a tax on your poverty. So. But anyway, you didn't ask for that, but you're welcome. Numbers mean things. I, I just, I play the ponies a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I, I do my scratches, Pastor. I do my scratches. I'm, I'm going to get good. Why are you trusting in man? Man can't provide anything for you. Why, why, why are you like playing games of chance trying to find sustenance? Why not go to the one who gave you life? The reason you got to play those games is because you're going to hang on to that ten Anyway, another sermon. Numbers mean things. Okay, seven. Let me break this down. I'm almost done. The number seven represents completion or perfection. Seven is not God's lucky number. God is not superstitious. God doesn't need fortune cookies. God doesn't need to go down to the quarter in Jackson Square and get his palm read. He doesn't need someone to look into a crystal ball and say, oh, he doesn't need this. He doesn't need someone throwing tarot cards because God is not mystical and his people shouldn't be mystical either. Let me just drop that on you real quick. Well, it's harmless fun. No, it's not. You don't know what you're messing with. You don't know what you've opened the door into your life. You've, you've thrown open the wide open door saying, hey, evil, come into my life. Yeah, but this is just my charm I wear around my wrist. Do you even know what that charm's attached to? Again, it's another sermon. Chill. It'll be all right. Seven represents completion or perfection. And the reason that it means this is because God rested on the seventh day of creation. So he said, This day always represents completion. It's not good luck, it's not God's perfect number. It simply represents. Everybody say, represents. It represents completion. In seven days time, mercy will be completed. Hear me. We are in a season of mercy right now. Brace yourself, I'm about to bust your theology and that's okay. That's my job. We're in a season of mercy and mercy will come to an end. And when mercy comes to an end, the church will be called away. When that time is complete. Because God does not wash the world of chaos away until the church is gone. right, y'all with me? It's going to come to completion. We're not there yet. We're getting close. We're not there yet. When? I don't know. No man knows the day nor the hour. But he does. And when that time is complete, everybody say complete. I'm going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. What does this mean? If you look throughout the Bible, you're going to see the number 40 used oftentimes. First time we see it mentioned is 40 days and 40 nights of rain. We see it again in the book of Exodus because they wandered in the desert for 40 years. If a woman carries a baby to full term, it is 40 weeks. What does the number 40 mean? The number 40 represents a period of preparation or trial, but with an overcoming victory afterward. Someone would say, I don't want to go through this trial. You'll never experience the victory until you allow God to take you through the time. Notice not put you in it, take you through it not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think, have you been going through some uh uh-uh in your life over the last few months, 18, 24 months? Anybody remember 2020? It wasn't a lot of fun, was it? Brace yourself, it's probably about to come back. And all that can shake is going to shake. And when the uh uh-uh starts shaking, we're like, get me out of here. And he's like, I'm not done working on you. I'm still preparing you. Yes, the trial sucks. I get it. But I'm not done with you. Because when you can make it through the trial, first off, everything that's not supposed to be in you has died off of you because you can't carry anything that was into the place that he's taken you. You've got to let it be completely washed. Why is water baptism so important? I don't even have any idea why I'm on this, but why is water baptism so important? It's because without water baptism, our sins are not washed away. Without water baptism, we are not born again. It doesn't matter how many cards we sign, how many times we raise our hand. Water baptism is where the born again experience happens. And so you need that washing You need that time of preparation. You need that time of cleansing because there is something important coming on the other side of the trial. When I get done doing what I'm doing right now, I'm going to rescue you out of here. Rescue comes before the wrath. Hear me. Rescue comes before the wrath. And then there's a time of preparation where things are going to be happening. You're not going to understand everything, but stick with me. Stick with me. I'll give you purpose. Stick with me, and I'll make you effective in this world. Stick with me, and I will take you to places you can never even imagine. But we're like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Oh, please use me. Please use me. But get me out of here. I don't want to stay in that. Get me out. God, please. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. They rejected me. They ghosted me. They unfriended me. They blocked me. They took my freedom. They gave me freedoms I didn't want. They took my money. They gave me money I didn't ask for. They made me wear a mask. They made me take the mask off. They made me wear three masks. They made me put a mask on my head. The next phase, we're wearing hazmat suits. And I'm not, I'm not being flippant. I'm being real. We don't like it. Anyone who says they enjoy wearing a mask, they're, they're not telling you the God's honest truth. It's not fun. And we don't like this. And the church is like, get them off of it. Showing our honey to the world in our social media posts. Proclaiming our politics instead of proclaiming the salvation that's inside of us. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Yes, we're going through a trial. Yes, we don't like everything, but God's not finished. Because what God is going to do on the other side of the depravity, on the other side of the washing, on the other side of the cleansing, is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. Somebody hear me? Who? I wore my J's today and I'm feeling preach. <laughs> God wants to do something in you. But you have to allow him to take you through something. Like, but I don't want to understand before you ever get into it. Oh, hear this. Before you ever even get into the rain, he's already provided rescue. And he's saying... Rain's coming. Look at your name. and say, rain's coming. It's coming. Get in the boat. Get in the If you don't get in the ark, don't get mad at God. But it's there. Verse 5. And Noah did just as the Lord commanded him. Now come help me out. And Noah did just as the Lord commanded him. Notice this. He didn't do everything that justice demanded. He did everything that the merciful Savior commanded him to do. He did everything mercy said, do. And because he obeyed unequivocally, he was invited to enter into rescue. How do we know that he obeyed? The Bible says he believed God. What, what does that mean? He believed God. He trusted. He relied. He obeyed. Y'all, y'all remember TRO? He trusted. He relied. He obeyed. That's what belief is. Belief is not accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Belief is trusting, relying, and obeying. It's not saying, count me in your numbers for social media, Pastor. That's not what it is. That's not belief. Here's what it is. You said it. I don't understand it, but I trust who you are. And I cannot rely on myself anymore. And I will obey everything that you say do, even if I don't like it. Trusting, relying, obeying. That's belief. Noah believed God and his reward was rescue. Hear me. God wants to rescue you out of your situation. In fact, I think right now, it'd be really good if every head would be bowed, every eye would be closed. God wants to rescue you out of your situation. And He wants to give you the reward of rescue. But He can't do it if you're not trusting Him, you're not relying on Him, and you're not obeying Him. And hear me, right now, you're living in the time where God is reaching and the door to salvation is open but there is coming a day when that door is going to close there's coming a day when God is going to speak to Noah and say get into the ark and I'm going to close the door Noah did not close the door God did that time is coming to a close and you won't be able to negotiate with God anymore But right now, you're living in the time when he's saying, Hey, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are struggling. Come to me, all who are broken. Come to me, all who are weary and downtrodden. Come to me, all the ones who are overwhelmed, come to me if you're hurting and, and, and you just don't know where to go. Come to me and let me give you rest. In other words, let me give you rescue.